Romans chapter six is such an important chapter because it follows a very lengthy theological treatise that the Apostle Paul has been giving concerning the gift of God and justification. Paul has spent chapter after chapter talking about the good news of justification. And justification just means that we are saved from the penalty of our sins. Jesus died on the cross in our place. This is at the very heart of the Christian gospel. And Paul has been explaining what it means to be justified. Paul has taken five chapters to go through the reason that we need to be justified, our own human fallen sinfulness and the bad choices that we make. And Paul has explained in exquisite detail the way that God has justified us, culminating in chapter five when he declares, while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. The justification that we receive has nothing to do with your obedience or mine. The justification that we receive from God is entirely based on God's gracious gift. It is the gracious gift of God that brings about our justification. And Paul ended chapter 6, verse 14, by saying, we are not under law, but under grace. So follow along with me as we read Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23, either in your own Bibles or on the screens behind me. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Should we keep on sinning because we're not under law but under grace? This is a continuation of the misunderstanding that some people have in regard to justification. As you recall, in the beginning of Romans chapter 6, Paul says, shall we remain in sin? And he says, no. He repudiates such false ideologies. Do not remain in sin just so that grace will increase. Because the Bible does say where sin increases, grace increases all the more. So there were some who thought, well, maybe the way to get more grace would be to do more sin. And they didn't understand what Paul was saying. Well, now another question very similar emerges. Maybe not an entire lifestyle devoted to sin, but maybe it's okay if, since we're not under law, but under grace, Maybe it would be all right if we indulge just the occasional sin. 
You know, the one that we only get to once in a while. Maybe we don't need to put to death all the sin in our lives. Maybe we don't need to avoid all of that. After all, it's not law. We don't need to have a slavish devotion to obeying a bunch of rules. We're under grace. So it's okay, isn't it? If we just sin occasionally, God is all right with that, isn't he? And Paul's answer is pretty clear. By no means, meganoitai, the same Greek phrase that he used last week, he uses again, the apostle Paul does. By no means, absolutely not. How can you think that it's okay to pursue sin, to indulge sin, to allow sin any reign in your life. The results are disastrous. And yet, it's so easy for us to indulge in just a little bit of sin. The devil's schemes are not complex. We understand his two-step. We understand the idea that if you give the devil just an inch, he's gonna try to take a mile. If you allow there to be just a little bit of sin in your life, eventually you will cultivate an entire garden of wickedness because this is the nature of sin. It's not full-out rebellious sin that Paul is addressing in the second half of Romans chapter 6, but occasional sin that we make no effort to curtail and eradicate. This is the kind of thing that Paul is facing here. And this understanding that it might be okay to indulge in just a little bit of sin does not understand the second aspect of our salvation. Paul has talked extensively about justification, but now Paul is talking about sanctification, Christ-likeness. And he says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves as obedient slaves to someone, you're a slave to the one you obey? And the notion of slavery is going to be the vehicle that Paul will drive to get his point across. For we all know what slavery is, even if we have no understanding of what it is like to be a slave in the context that we typically think of here in America. For when we think about slavery here in America, there are really important and powerful movies that evoke the power of slavery and its destructive forces. If you maybe have seen the brand new movie that's just been released called Harriet, all about Harriet Tubman. Or perhaps you're familiar with 12 Years a Slave or the great Amistad. The idea is that these movies in modern times depict how slavery used to occur when the Africans were taken and made slaves here in America and in other places in the world. But we have to understand that it, were, that it was a group of Christian men and women who led the abolitionist charge. For in Christ, we recognize that no man should be property of another, that no person should ever be owned by another person, and yet slavery is understood. We know what it means when we use the word slavery, even if you and I have never been in chains ourselves. The kind of slavery that the Apostle Paul is discussing here in Romans chapter 6 is not exactly the same kind. Yes, it is similar in that you might be shackled. Yes, it would be similar in that you would be completely at the disposal of the person that was your master. But in Paul's time, it was not uncommon for people actually to place themselves voluntarily in slavery. 
You might think about it more like indentured servitude. But the idea was that if your life was so hopeless, if you had so little opportunity and chance, and you thought you would maybe die, you might think that it would be better to become the slave of someone else and hopefully be treated well enough at least to eat. This might even be the same idea that the prodigal son had after squandering his inheritance, saying, oh, at least my father's hired hands and workers there have food to eat. I will go home and ask him to take pity on me. It wasn't entirely uncommon for this sort of thing to happen. Slavery and offering yourself into it was a very real thing, but the Bible makes very clear that you are a slave to the thing you obey. 2 Peter 2.19 says that people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Make no mistake, you are a slave. We are all slaves. We might not wear physical shackles, but we are all slaves to whatever has mastered us. And we are created in the image of God such that we desire mastery. There is something that will master us, whether it is sin or God, whether it is an idea or another person, we will be mastered by something or other. But the very interesting thing here is that the Apostle Paul is telling us that we get to make the choice about to whom we will shackle ourselves. My favorite 17th century English poet John Donne once said, I have no freedom except in the shackles of Christ. Every person will be a slave. Not every person will understand that he is a slave. For sometimes, slavery to sin does not appear to be slavery, but it is. Think about the sin that has so easily entangled and shackled you in your past. Think about all the things about which now you are ashamed. Those things just bring death. They don't bring any good result. But Jesus says that his burden is light, that his yoke is easy. We must cling to him and place our devotion and allegiance to Jesus. And this is what Paul will tell us in verse 17. Remember that verse 17 said, Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Do you know the pattern of teaching that has claimed your allegiance? When it comes to the pattern of teaching, there is a truth, a cosmic truth that God wants you to know, and it's something like this. God is the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good, eternal, necessary, triune, master of all heaven and earth. God Almighty has made human beings in his own image and therefore endowed human beings with choice creativity and the opportunity to give and receive love and relationship. But because we were so endowed, we chose poorly. From the very first human beings to the very latest human beings, we all choose sin. We all choose sin because even though we were made to worship, we sometimes want the power ourselves. And through rebellious sinfulness, we were banished from God's presence. Because God is perfect and holy, he cannot stand to be around sin, and so humankind was sent away from God. But because God is perfect and merciful, he wants to be around human beings made in his own image. And so the story of the Bible is the story of God bringing his people back to himself. 
At first, God walked with his people and then separated from them. He shouted to them, go to the land I will show you. He burned before them so that they could see the path and he parted the seas for them. He was even carried around in an ark for them. Eventually, an entire building was set up around his presence, but it was never enough. And so God the Father sent God the Son, who we know as Jesus Christ, to earth to live a perfect and sinless life and once again walk amongst his people. And he died on the cross because the only way to satisfy the problem of sin is with sacrifice. But the only way sacrifice could ever work is if that sacrifice was both perfect and human. In order to be perfect, that sacrifice had to be divine, and in order to be human, that divine one had to become man. And this is the story of the incarnation. Jesus died on the cross for your sins so that you and I don't have to die for our own sins. And having been raised from the dead by the power of God to prove that the sacrifice worked, we now can be justified. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that inspired the Bible and indwells us as Christian believers. The Holy Spirit courses through our veins, teaching us to say no to ungodliness and worldliness of all kinds while we wait for the second appearing of our great, glorious God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is part of the gospel message. This is the pattern of teaching to which you have placed your allegiance. And when you place your allegiance to this truth that has just been declared, you are saying, I voluntarily make myself a slave to obedience to your message. Because obedience is the theme of the chapter, obedience and Christlikeness. And yet, the motivations for obedience are very, very different. When you were an enemy of God, there was no obedience at all. Instead, your life was characterized by enmity and you experienced rebellious disobedience. All of you remember and all of you remember and are ashamed of the things you did. I remember being in high school telling students that Christianity was fake because I was a pretty virulent atheist. I was mean, I was rude about it. And anytime I would get invited to church, I would tell people to buzz off and come up with new and creative ways to insult them and to mock God. And I'm ashamed of that. I can still think of particular individuals that do not have any allegiance to the truth. And in some part, I played some part in their decision not to accept God. And I'm ashamed of this. I've devoted my life to trying to show people the truth. Once someone loved Jesus enough to love me and show me the truth, I realized I needed to do the same. And so I've spent my entire adult life trying to learn the truth, to learn how to communicate the truth, to learn to love Jesus so much that I could love somebody so much, even if that somebody was like the way I used to be and said it was fake. Rebellious disobedience is shameful, but when you accept the truth, you move from being an enemy of God to being a servant of God. When you voluntarily place your servitude to God Almighty, you start to obey. But the reason for your obedience is fear. And this is an appropriate first step because Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
The fear of the Lord is a good thing. And when you fear God, you understand his incredible power. The same power that was described in Romans chapter one. The same power that created the entire universe. And when you understand that God is the one who made it all and God is the one who can end it all, you understand that God Almighty is the one to be feared. Did you know that being called a God-fearing person used to be a compliment? It doesn't sound very complimentary today, but that used to be one of the highest compliments you could pay a person. He's a God-fearing man. Because if you fear God, you know the truth. And your obedience starts to follow. But as we become a Christian, as we accept the truth of the gospel, we recognize that we're not merely servants of God. We're not merely slaves to God. We're much more than that. In fact, we might even be called friends of God Jesus says this in John chapter 15, when the disciples call him master, he says, you're right in calling me master, but I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business, but I have revealed everything to you. Since God has revealed his divine plan to us, and since the Holy Spirit indwells us, we no longer are in the dark about what God is doing. Our eyes have been opened, and because our eyes and hearts have been opened, we can tune into God's plan, and therefore we are friends of God. And when we recognize that we are friends of God, we no longer obey out of fear, we start to obey out of obligation. Because if you're a friend of somebody, you have an obligation to that person. If you have a friend, you have an obligation to that friend. If your friend needs help, you're obligated to help your friend. If your friend needs your time, you're obligated to give your friend your time. Friendship carries certain obligations. And if you understand that you are a friend of God, you are obliged to obey God. But just as obedience can, translate, uh, can transfer rather from fearful obedience to obligatory obedience, there's another aspect of obedience that is, in fact, at the heart of the gospel. And this is loving obedience. When Paul will say in verse 17, you have come to obey from your heart, we recognize that the highest form of obedience is not fearful, and it's not obligatory, it's loving. Jesus even says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And we know that in 1 John 4, 18, the Bible tells us that perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with judgment. If you've been paying attention to our sermon series in Romans, you should have no fear of judgment because you know that you have been justified if you are in Christ. I don't fear judgment. I don't fear judgment at all. I still have reverent awe of God. I know he's the one who made it all. He's the one who can end it all. But I don't do what he wants me to because I'm afraid. I'm not afraid of any judgment. I look forward to judgment. Jesus has already paid the penalty for my sins. So God is not going to say, Andrew, because of this, this, and this, you're going to get yours. Instead, he's going to say, because Jesus, Jesus the judge says, because I died for your sins, you did this for me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Take your reward. I look forward to judgment, and I hope you do too. I hope you do too, because I don't fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And because I understand that God loves me, he first loved me, I can love him and I can serve him, not out of fear or obligation, but out of love. And this means I am a co-heir. I'm no longer an enemy. I'm no longer a servant. I'm no longer just a friend. I'm a co-heir with Christ. This will be talked about in Romans 8 in just a couple of weeks when we get there. But if you are adopted as a son or daughter of God Almighty, you are a co-heir with Christ. And the same authority that has been given to him splashes over to you. 
If you're a co-heir, you don't do what the master of the house says merely because you're his servant or his friend, but because you know all of it is yours. It's your inheritance. It's coming to you. Eternal life is ours. And so we obey out of love. This is what God wants for us. This is the truth that God has for us. Because once you were dead in sin, but now you need to die to sin so that you can live for God. And this is what Romans chapter 6 is all about. Living for God. You know that you have been justified, which means that the penalty for your sin was taken by Jesus on the cross. He died for your sins so that you don't have to die for your sins. Now, the Holy Spirit indwells you so that you can live for God. Having been justified, you now get to grow in your sanctification. You get to grow in your holiness. You get to grow in your righteousness. You get to grow in your Christ-likeness. You get to grow in your obedience because no longer will you be a slave to sin. Instead, you will be a slave to God. The very last verse of this chapter, Romans 6.23, is a very famous verse. It's one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture. Anytime somebody uses the Romans row, they always talk about Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so you may have seen different diagrams explaining the choice that people have to make. I prefer this one just because I think it's very simple. We will all be slaves. We will all be slaves. And so if you'll see, the diagram explains that you get a choice. Unlike slavery that we are familiar with through the history where there was no choice involved at all, there is a choice in our slavery. We will choose who will be our master. It will be sin or it will be God. You cannot serve two masters, Jesus says. You will love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve two masters. So if you are a slave to sin, if you think, oh, sin is the way to get more grace, you don't understand justification or sanctification. If you think sin is all right, just in, in little doses and that's okay, you don't understand the truth. In fact, you have made yourself a slave to sin. And the result of being a slave to sin is that you get paid a certain wage and that wage starts to get doled out in wickedness. You grow increasingly wicked, and then impurity follows. Impurity and wickedness are the down payment on the final payment, which is death. And I'm not just talking about physical death, though that is bad enough. I'm talking about spiritual death. Physical death is when the body separates from the soul. Spiritual death is when the soul is cast away from God. You don't want any part of that. Because the only place that God is not is hell. You do not want to die spiritually because you will be castigated away from him and you do not want to be separated from the very source of being. And you don't have to be. You get a choice. Once you were in the shackles to sin, but because you were made in God's image, you have the choice of whom you serve so you can throw down those chains and instead you can cling to the cross. And when you make yourself a slave to God, the results are far different. The results of making yourself a slave to God are that you receive the gift. The gift is grace. And the grace that is poured out upon you starts with justification. And you know that God no longer sees you as the sinner you once were, but instead he sees you as Christ's own righteousness. That's a good gift. 
And then the gift continues and you grow in sanctification and you get to be more and more holy, more and more Christ-like. You get to become more like him. And when you are more like him, you get to love people more and more. And as you love people more and more, more and more people see the truth. And they get to experience the same eternal life that you do. But maybe you're not sure exactly what eternal life is. I've talked about eternal life being abundant life right now. I've talked about eternal life being this and that. Jesus just tells us exactly what eternal life is. Do you, do you know that? And then in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they would know God. Did you know that you were created to know God and be known by God? And the more you know God, the more you cling to him, the more you obey him, the more you know him, you recognize that fear is the beginning, but it's not the end. Love is the end. Love is the end. So move from obedience out of fear to obedience out of obligation to obedience out of love because the more you love Jesus, the more you will be able to love people. And the more you can love people, the more eternal life can be splashed around this dying world before us. I'm sick of seeing the world die. I'm ready to see it live. And I think you are too. I think you're sick of being a slave to sin, running back to that same sin you do when you think nobody's looking. You don't need to do that anymore. I think maybe you're sick of just doing what God wants because you're afraid he's going to get you. Embrace justification and know that Jesus already died for your sins. You know what I think you want? I think you want Christ-likeness. I think you want to be more like Jesus. I know I want to be more like Jesus, and I think you do too. And if we, as a congregation, can commit to in unity obey God out of love, then if we obey out of our heart the pattern of truth, we have a real shot at being the instruments of righteousness that God will use to save the dying world around us. Do you want to do that? Will you stand with me if you are committed to being God's instrument of righteousness? who will be a slave to God, understanding that slavery is not bad at all. In fact, you give up a bad taskmaster and you make God your master and you don't just work as a slave, you become a friend and not just a friend, you become a co-heir of the entire property, which is the universe itself. It's not slavery at all. It's freedom. But the only way to experience freedom is in the chains of Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we pray to you right now thanking you for the gift of God that leads to eternal life. May we be the sort of people who repudiate our allegiance to sin and pledge our allegiance always and only to you. May we love you, but God, never just take our word for it. See it in our loving obedience. This we pray in your perfect name. Amen.